Welcome to another off-season edition of the Grizzden Podcast. John Kraft is here. How's it going, John? It's good. It's good. We are in the in the summer doldrums from a Grizzlies perspective, um, but we still have a lot going on, which is why we wanted to to jump on. Uh, we have a grab bag of topics today. The conference finals are nearing the end. The Denver Nuggets swept the Los Angeles Lakers, which was just so sweet last <laughs> night. Uh, and, you know, LeBron trying to uh, alter the narrative to his retirement instead of, you know, them getting swept. It's just, a, I mean, like clockwork. Uh, and we have the Miami Heat playing the Boston Celtics tonight. So we'll either get another game of Celtics Heat if the Celtics end up pulling that out, or we'll have an, a, another sweep in the Eastern Conference Finals, and we won't have an NBA game until June 1st, which is mind-boggling to me. I know yeah. that they need to like schedule these things out way far in advance, but it seems weird that the NBA would allow this gap because I feel yeah. like we might get some interest that's going to drop off. Right. I mean, that's the there. I mean, people are worried that the whole TV ratings narrative is always kind of overblown, but I do worry just giving people eight eight nine days to get interested in other things. So yeah, uh, and there's a lot of heartburn about Nuggets Heat being uh, quote unquote bad finals for ratings. What is your opinion about that? I tend to think that it's these are two very intriguing characters at the center right. of both of these teams with Jokic and, and Jimmy Butler and uh, Lakers Celtics is obviously has the history component, but I don't know. Have ratings ever been like hugely up and down to yeah. the extent that it mattered for this? I mean, type I of feel thing? like there's a couple teams like the Warriors and the Lakers, which showed when they played each other that really changed the ratings. But besides that, I just think, you know, uh, that it, it kind of is what it is. And I, I actually, I mean, for me, the people that the casuals that complain about the quote NBA, that should be a great matchup, a team that's built itself over years, uh, a very intriguing player that, that I think like is an interesting kind of Jokic, you know, it's not like he's just an interesting player to root for, has a very interesting different game, uh, but like kind of that sort of small market. And then you have the Heat who both have sort of the Heat culture, all those things that are super fun team, I think, to kind of watch how they play. Jimmy Butler's, you know, kind of having a great postseason. And, and I just think that, you know, it's two teams that I feel like casuals have kind of said they want. They want, they want some parity. So like you have a, an eight seed potentially getting to the finals. And then they also want not the player empowerment, but actually a team that's built over years um, succeeding. And you have that in the nuggets. So I feel like there's a lot of stuff to cheer for. And I think the game should be really interesting too. So, yeah, I, um, I we were going to lead off with John Morant update, but this is too interesting to me. Let's keep going with this and then we'll get to jaw in just yeah, yeah. a few minutes. But I think one of the major storylines of this postseason is the turnover in NBA coaching, especially mm -hmm. the high-level coaching. I mean, right. we've seen uh, Mike Budenholzer get fired. We've, fired. we've seen Doc Rivers, Nick Nurse already before who won a championship in 2019. You've seen these teams that have lost and freaked out, and the latest of which I could see being Joe Mazzulla with the Boston Celtics. Now he's in a very unique position because he was an interim to start, got a contract uh, mid-year because of the success and they're a team that are probably, I would say, in terms of panic meter, like the the Celtics are going to be way up there if the Heat do, in fact, pull this out, which um, history says 100% of the time the team that goes up 3-0 will pull it out. So um, what do you think about that in relation? You can relate it back to the Grizzlies if you want, but what do you think just 
NBA big picture wise about all this coaching turnover. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's. I, I think I feel like there's a little bit of some new owners coming in. There's a little bit of. I think impatience. Uh, I mean, because that's if you know if the Heat end up, you know, which everything looks like, even if the Celtics win tonight, the Heat will eventually come, you know, win one of the games. Uh, I mean, you have Spolster, who's been there for a really long time through ups and downs. You have Mike Malone, who's been there for a really long time through ups and downs. Both coaches that have been around for the NBA and been head coaches for a really long time, they're the ones that are going to make it. And you have these young coaches, you know, especially obviously um, the Celtics coach who's you know, struggling. And I just think, uh, that, that the people that the up and down of coach stuff, I mean, it's, it's crazy how Taylor Jenkins is like the fourth longest coach now, fourth, fifth. I mean, that's just crazy to me. And so I don't, I mean, I, I, I tend to think that longevity and culture and consistency is more important in basketball. And so unless you see an obvious discret, you know, some obvious negative or flaw, that needs to get moved. I'd be very wary about changing coaches, but it looks like tons of teams are trying to do it. So I think part of it has to do with the players themselves and the team structure almost running its course. And you could say that the coach is like a last gasp effort, but I'm looking at the Raptors particularly or the 76ers. And what I see is two teams that need to make like big changes and whether that's because the just this version has been played out and yeah. everybody's tired of it, or they're real basketball problems with the fit in these players. Like for instance, with the Raptors, you see a bunch of guys that are pretty similar and they you know, you had this um whatever the the word was, I can't I can't think of it right now, but where like all five guys are di- are similar on the floor where you have five wings or whatever. Um that's to me a, a tough, and you don't have an alpha there in Toronto. Yeah. It's like, is Pascal Siakam the guy? Um, is Fred Van Vliet the guy? But then in the Sixers situation, you have just James Harden, Joel Embiid, who have constantly flamed out, and Doc seems to be, uh, he, he himself has also flamed out a whole bunch. But right. there's deeper problems than just the coaching in those situations, right. in my opinion. The Bucks is the one where I can kind of understand this being a, okay, We've we've had these similar issues year after year. You broke through once. Not right. that Bud isn't an awesome coach. He brings your team to a very, very, very high floor right. and can have that high ceiling if everything's right. But I get that one more than I get the other ones, yeah. I guess. And then I mean, even looking, you know, I mean like the the that Bucks team swept the Miami Heat just a couple years ago in the first round. And yet the Heat were like, Spolster's our person. We're sticking with Spolster. So I mean, I think I think that's what I appreciate about the Heat and I think the Nuggets and these team, you know, and obviously the Spurs, they've had pop for forever, but this kind of patience and understanding, okay, what is the actual problem here? And I think I agree with you. I think you look at the Bucks and think, okay, have we hit our ceiling with this team? Well, what, you know, I don't think so necessarily. So what is the problem? It looks like Coach Bud. Whereas I think a lot of these other scenarios – uh, you know, I mean, and, and obviously Doc has his record in game sevens, but I, but it's very obvious to me uh, that team with its core has hit its ceiling and now major things probably should shift. Like I, if I was a Sixers fan, I would feel I would not like the fact that to bring run it back with just a different coach uh, with with Harden and with Embiid. I would be nervous about that. I would think that I need to make bigger changes 
um, you know, and look at things like Tobias Harris making basically max money uh, to be just a total no show. Uh, just a lot of stuff like that that's going on with the Sixers. What do you make of the Monty Williams one? Because that's the one I haven't even mentioned yeah, yet. That, I mean, that one's puzzling to me. I mean, I'm only, I mean, to me, that's new owner syndrome. That's yeah. the only thing that makes sense to me because I just, there's not a coach in the world that could have, be in that position where you throw together guys. And then you lose, you know, you lose one of your main play, main guys in Chris Paul. And, you know, and, and I don't know, too, because for me, I, if I look at DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams, who I know weren't getting along, I would choose Monty Williams well before I would choose DeAndre Ayton. So, and, and I still think they probably will move off of DeAndre Ayton. So it is a little puzzling. But, I mean, my only guess is it just, you know, it could be new owners. I could also, it could be, you know, like Booker and then KD, you know, for whatever reason, uh, got crossed with Monty Williams. I don't know, but it is, but it is a surprising to me because I don't. That didn't look like uh, when I watched the Suns Nuggets. I didn't think, man, the Suns got out coached. I thought the Suns just aren't as good as the Nuggets. Yeah. Relating it back to the Grizzlies to an extent, I, I, I personally feel that Taylor Jenkins should not be lumped in with this group in terms of. I just believe that having a longer leash is going to be more beneficial long-term. You're seeing it, like you said, with Malone and Spolstra. Like, they've been through their own set of postseason struggles in different scenarios and have their teams have looked so different year after year. But they are, they've been a constant. The voice has not uh, seemed to run dull with these franchises. And also you need a longer runway than I believe the Grizzlies so far have shown, um, mainly because we are ahead of schedule. I think he has inst- he has shown time after time that with a limited roster, with star- his starters have played like single-digit games uh, at some levels in, in the last two years, and still he's put together like incredible seasons. And... If anything, I think it shows how elite of a regular season coach he is, which is really important. The playoff questions to me are still TBD. Like, I don't yeah. think you have enough data, in my opinion, to decide, okay, this isn't our guy. Like, and, and surely the voice has not gotten, um, you know, he, there's, I don't th- believe that he has lost any sort of locker room no. loyalty. So what do you think about Taylor Jenkins and maybe the noise around yeah. him? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I feel like it is a fan uh, Grizz Twitter uh, thing to really be on Taylor Jenkins. I feel like he is a great coach when you hear like I'm always intrigued to hear when other guys come on like a like a David Thorpe or some like longtime coaches and people come on other podcasts and various things how they talk about Taylor Jenkins so glowingly. And it's because that's, they notice things uh, that possibly other people don't notice. I think that ultimately if, if our core three guys like our coach, to me, it is a big part of keeping him. I mean, honestly, I think it's Giannis getting on that post game starting to say, Hey, we should have made some adjustments here, here and here. That was, that was opening the door for coach bud getting fired. And I just think as long as our main three guys you know, like Jenkins, he's going to be there. But I also think, I think it's hugely important that we, you know, 
this year's postseason was disappointing. And we'll probably throughout the summer talk about, you know, as we reflect what happened in that first round series. I think there's a lot of ways to go with that. Um, you know, but we have overperformed every single year he's been here. We have overperformed, you know, our regular season expectations. And it seems like, you know, outside of this year with honestly one player and jaw kind of throwing things, it seems like our culture is great. And, you know, I don't you know the, the, the game. One thing is the one thing that throws me is that we we've lost all our home, uh, you know, all we've lost home court advantage game one and now uh, three straight series. And that's one thing to look at, I think, but, but I don't mind that. And I love the way he works the whole roster throughout the season, how he develops guys, just all sorts of things about him that I think are huge. And, and like you said, I think there's very TBD. I think that uh, coaches grow with teams as well. And, and we don't have that. We have, you know, our core is 23, 23 and 24. We have time for our coach to develop and learn as well. And I, you know, I would, I wouldn't, uh, you know, and I don't know who you would replace them with. I think when you have a really good coach, uh, you want to stick with that coach as long as possible. Yeah. It's not tactical to me. That's not the core problem right now. Right. If anything, it's, it's health and it's a lot of just off court stuff. Uh, right. You know, let the controllables be the controllables. That's been our problem. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I mean, and, and, you know, and who knows? I mean, I think that obviously the big adjustment that everybody looks at is the Dylan adjustment. Should it have happened earlier in the series? Yeah, possibly. And But part of it is, like, uh, coaches want to keep locker rooms, too. <laughs> so, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff going on. And, 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 you know, I was laughing because, so looking at the, the Warriors Lakers series. And one of the things, if you listen, if you, if you watch playoff games with Twitter, it's hilarious. Cause you have a lot of guys like Haral Bob, uh, like Hollinger, like you just have a lot of guys who've either helped run front offices, who are gamblers, who are player agents or used to be, and they have a lot of opinions on basketball. And so like, for instance, one of the things that was huge that everybody was talking about is look at the analytics and, you know, Steph and pick and rolls. Uh, are unbelievable. Steph pick and rolls are are just are shredding teams like the Draymond Steph pick and roll. Why are they not running that all the time? It's because Kerr doesn't like pick and roll and he likes motion offense. And it was just over and over and over and over again. Well, what happens is as the series progressed, what you saw was Steph was exhausted, that he was dying because they started to run a lot of pick and rolls, and and Steph both was being hunted on defense and. Pick and running pick and roll offenses, and that is not what he's used to, and so he started being missing shots. He started he started showing signs of fatigue, and I just think those are the kind of things that the analytics or the people watching are like. Well, when Steph runs a pick and roll, it works this percentage of the time, but coaches have to deal with things like, hey, a player is exhausted, and what does that mean? How can I, you know, how much can I use him? I've got to kind of somehow regulate things. And there's just a lot more stuff to coaching than people realize. I Definitely. Think. You got to press all the right buttons, but you also have to do it at the perfect time. Right. Uh, and, you know, also we are very results based right. in terms of our judgment. And it's very hard to see the bigger picture sometimes of like we see the L. Right. And for example, like I've been a really, it has been annoying, I will say, since they are the Lakers and they get the headlines anyway. But I don't think that this was like a traditional sweep. I'll, I'll, I hate giving the Lakers any sort of credit ever. 
I, Austin Reeves is officially my least favorite player in the NBA after after watching him this playoff run. So that I will always have that. But like these are four very hard fault games, and so um, anyway, that's going to be a situation that's going to be fascinating moving forward. Um, anything else to make of the rest of the playoffs so far that you've you've yeah, noticed? Yeah, I mean, from a I think standpoint? that the you know looking. I mean, I think Denver. Uh, well, I mean, there's the good news and bad news with Denver. <laughs> the bad news is, uh, I feel like they found it this these playoffs, and they found it with the Lakers. As in, they found this place in Game Three and Game Four against the Lakers, where it was some real championship stuff. The kind of stuff you see from the Warriors, and that I see on in teams that are like they're here to stay. In that, okay, we could lose this game hey, it's game three, we're supposed to lose it anyway, where they're like, no, we're not losing it. And then, to, and then you know, last night to be down 15 in the third quarter and be like, no, we're going to come out and we're going to try to win this game. We're going to try to finish off this series and get eight days rest. And even though LeBron's going crazy in the first half and I just – and that kind of thing. And, and I feel like that's the sort of thing that happens when uh, a team has a great player – um, a couple other great core players. They've played together for multiple years, and then they make the right. They kind of, you know, make those right decisions with the Brown signing, the KCP signing, and they have a year where they don't have injuries like they have in the past, and just things come together. But they come together to win a title, and and I'm, I mean, obviously they haven't won a title yet. We're still going to have to deal with the Eastern Conference. You know, obviously probably the Heat, but just having that and I think that's the hope is that you know our team's core is three four years behind them and and I think even this year I mean we can talk about we had a bad luck injury year too despite all the also all the off-court stuff but the last two years um, you know we've had injury stuff that the Nuggets haven't but all that said is I think the way they've built it I like I, I feel like that is a good news for a Grizzlies fan that this is still can be successful and win. It's not about getting getting the big you know free agent move movement or signing, but really just having a core that's elite and and building them up and then kind of grassroots level and then developing well, but also making a few key mid level exception type signings. I think that's the good news. I mean, I think that's the good news for Grizzlies fan. The bad news is like the, I think the Nuggets are here for two or three years, and so now we have to. We're going forward. We're going to have to think through, you know, how we match the Nuggets because they're in the West with us. And then the other thing that I just think is that like. Uh, we have a changing of the guard that the Lakers, the Warriors, the Clippers, the Suns all have, you know, aging superstars. And, and I think we are ascendant and all of those teams are descendant. Now that doesn't mean the Suns, maybe the Clippers might have a year or two, you know, last gasp in them. We'll see. But I just think they are, they are, they're now beyond their peak. They're now descending and, and the Nuggets are squarely in it, and we're still coming into it as Grizzlies. And so I think that's kind of looking looking through that you know prism. I think that in that sense, I think uh, positive for a Grizzlies fan. Yeah, and also in the new CBA environment, it's going to be a lot harder for these teams with historical cores that ha- are going to require heavy spending to keep intact. Like I don't think you're going to see the Warriors. Like the Warriors to me are going to be shaken up. Um, yeah. To a major extent, the Lakers don't have a ton of flexibility. 
Um, who knows with LeBron what he's going to do. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm with you. I think that I made that compare, or I made a comparison to the Nuggets, I believe, on our last podcast in reference to how we treat like this offseason and beyond, and how I didn't believe yet that we had the piece, the same types of pieces to make a trade comparable to this one. But the Aaron Gordon trade is like the exact one that I'm looking for for the Grizzlies mm-hmm. right now because he was a player on a different team that did have a bigger role maybe than he should have. But the the Nuggets cashed in, I believe it was Gary Harris and RJ Hampton, plus like a couple of draft picks. And you yeah. look up now and you think, wow, Aaron Gordon just for those two guys. Like, But at the time, they were right. two young prospects. Who knows? I mean, Gary Harris is still a really good player. Right. But those two players don't equal Aaron Gordon necessarily. We I don't believe that we have those two surefire young guys that people are going to want to bet on yet. But I think we're close to that, which is why I'm I'm even looking to like the trade deadline more than I am even this off season, just depending on what we do. But like that's the size trade that I think is next, and the Nuggets are a great model for yeah. for that. Yeah, and I think looking at the Eastern side, I think Celtics. Uh, you know, the Celtics are be interesting because assuming they go on to lose one of these next uh, four games that, you know, what's interesting about them is they have two guys who are going to be making a lot of money. And what's interesting about them is they have two guys that are, that play, they're very similar, that play very similar styles and neither of, neither of whom are really good ball handlers. Like they're good players, good playmakers, great defensively, but it's, it'll be interesting to see um, what they do with that. Whereas you look at the Grizzlies and, and the Nuggets, you have teams where, uh, and honestly, the Heat as well, where they all have the very defined roles, and and but still, you know, I mean, obviously, I you know, Celtics' success is a great success, but then the Heat, I just think, again, going back to we already talked about coaching, but having a but having a coach who's been there, having a culture established, and just that like getting in a place where uh, that you contend over and over and over again. I feel like the Nuggets and the Heat both show that don't make rash moves. Um, and honestly, the Celtics' success as well, because even just even last year, even sometimes earlier this year, everybody's asking, can Jalen and Tatum get along? And honestly, right now, the Celtics' problem might just be that the locker room doesn't like each other that much, and so a culture issue. But the Heat and the Nuggets, I think, just show is uh, get your right core and compete, and then each season, tinker, make a move here or there, um, continue to develop, because one of the things you see with the Heat is I was looking back at the bubble Heat, and it was amazing to look at the fact uh, when I looked at the Heat, that Gabe Vincent uh, was the only person, only player on the Heat roster that year that that didn't play in the bubble. He was like the 13th, 14th man on the roster. Didn't even, you know, even in like scrub time, didn't play. And then, then about three months later, they signed Max Struess to an Exhibit 10 contract. And that was three, four years ago. And of course now, you know, they're playing major minutes for the Heat. And so just kind of like having that, Faith and development, culture, and you know, and and the Heat have had one bad year where they got swept by the Bucks. But three out of the last four years, they've made the, at least the conference finals, and you know, and now maybe two of the last four they're going to make the finals. And so I just think that sort of consistency, and I think it's very easy for Grizz Twitter and other people. I mean, we live in the moment, but just kind of having this. Okay, we have this great core. We think is good enough to win a title. We're going to have them. I think entering their peak now for the next five, six years. 
And hey, I'd love for us to win six straight titles. Probably not happening. There's probably going to be years where we have an injury. There's probably going to be years where just kind of similar to this year where just things are weird. Um, but just kind of staying that course um, over time. And I think that can be really rewarding. So that that's another thing I've, I've thought about looking at these playoffs. Well, I think that the Grizzlies can go one of those two directions. And you have a Celtics team right now who, I mean, they were in my opinion, the best team this year, like in the regular, you can yeah. make an argument for the Bucks. Their peak was the highest. Of Their the peak team. was the highest. I mean, you you could go back and watch these games where they just couldn't miss. They were just humming on all cylinders, and it seemed as if Tatum and Brown had found yet another gear. And then you add a guy like Horford, who's just like a constant, smart as, is what he is. But yeah, I mean, I think, though, that you look at their situation versus, let's say, Denver's, and... Boston had this really early peak, like Jason Tatum, very first year, was going to the conference finals. And they've been in the mix for so long. I just think this core might be getting just super tired. And so it's almost as if like the early success could eventually lead mm -hmm. to too much uh, burnout with the weight of expectations. Or you have a Denver side, which it is it sure has been up and down, but over the course of the last, you know, four or five years, you've seen a team that has stayed together. They both tinkered on the edges, but you've seen, I don't know, like two different. And, and of course, we're, we're pl I'm playing the results again, where if Denver were to have lost in the conference finals, I'd have all these same questions that I'm having about the Celtics. But I just think it shows you that you can have the same core, but it can go two ways. I'm a bit more hopeful that the Grizzlies are more on the Nugget side, mainly right. because our core three all play different positions and occupy different roles. With the Celtics side, it's kind of like a your turn, my turn. Right. It always have, has felt weird. Right. So, But I still think that there is a price to pay for early success, and you, you almost have like a, a bigger mountain to climb in that respect. So it's like right. a blessing and a curse. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, and that's, and like, you know, it is funny because we look at it now and we think, well, Bane, John, Jaron are, are best friends and they love Coach Jenkins and everybody seems to get along. And in fact, that's, uh, you know, it feels like more and more this year. I, I still feel like those three guys really like Dylan, but it feels like there was this can struggle. Um, like one of the issues for we had was a struggle between Dylan and the organization's view of him as well as just his kind of, um, you know, pecking order issue with Dylan. And so we kind of needed to move on from him. Uh, and that was kind of, that was one of the things going on. Obviously we'll get to jaw here in a minute, but, uh, but it seems like, you know, it's hard for me to think that we're going to have those situations similarly to Jason Jalen, which always going to have that issue where they sort of play the same position. It is sort of my turn, your turn, that, that struggle. I mean, honestly, that's similar to the Sixers, which is weird because you have Harden and you have Embiid uh, who play very two very different positions, but they are two people who need the ball to be effective. And so similarly, there's a lot of me, uh, my turn, your turn there as well. And so the hope is with the Grizzlies is we have three guys who all fit these roles very well, you know, with Jaws, sort of the head um, with the ball, but that, you know, we have that, that Bain and Jaron fit with him yeah. in a better way, just similar to the Nuggets where Jamal and, and Jokic just fit really, really well together. Yeah. Let's get to Ja. Um, so we did record, uh, I think, the day after everything went down with him. And if you missed it, he was on Instagram Live uh, yet again uh, and was holding a gun. 
the reaction has been, um, I think, worth commenting on in this podcast. Last week was the NBA draft lottery. Uh, Adam Silver went on ESPN, and he said that he was shocked when he saw the video. And he said that they're in the process of investigating it and we'll figure out exactly what happened. And he said, the video is a bit grainy and I'm quoting, he said, and all that, but I'm assuming the worst. And so I thought that that quote made its rounds out of context in a lot of different directions. He was not talking about the suspension. I think he was talking about that he doesn't think the gun in the video is fake. And that's what he was referencing. If you watch the video, uh, Ja then came out with a statement saying, "There's more. this is a journey. I recognize there's more work to do. My words may not mean much right now, but I take full accountability for my actions, and I'm committed to continuing to work on myself. And we have not yet heard what the NBA has decided in terms of a suspension. There have been all sorts of predictions out there on what that suspension should be. And I will start here. I still will say, which I said it on the night of when we recorded, I don't know what the crime is besides stupidity. And stupidity is not a reason for the NBA to make an example or punish John Morant to an extent that, to me, would be over, let's say, 10 games, maybe even 15, I could make an argument for, um, by understanding maybe let's say like the climate understanding that it's a repeat offender situation um, and that there's a pattern, which you've heard that word thrown around a lot. Um, Also, I would equate this to like when a parent tells you not to do something and you turn around and do it again, but let's say whatever they told you not to do, it's not, they didn't tell you not to do something illegal. It was just something that they would prefer you not to do. So that's how I feel about this. Like there's, there's an extent to which I feel that you can punish somebody that has not yet actually committed a crime. And the arguments being thrown out around the conduct detrimental to the league, this is not conduct detrimental to the league. This is conduct detrimental to jaw. And I am in a full belief that the market should sort out John Morant, the market at large, meaning people are going to stop buying his shoes because they're not comfortable with that image. People are going to stop buying. There was even a, like I listened to Ryan Rosilver every once in a while. There's a life advice question that someone wrote in and says, my four-year-old is obsessed with John Morant and we have all this, all these jerseys. What do we do now? And so I just think that there's going to, this is a cultural touch point for him and his relationship with just the public in general. I think he's going to lose out on a lot of stuff because of it. Mm-hmm. And, also, the last point I'll make before um, I'll get your take on it is I think this should be a Memphis Grizzlies decision on suspension. Like, totally this should not be the NBA's call mm-hmm. at all. And if I'm the Players Association and it's out of the suspension is higher than it should be, I am stepping in. I'm sorry. You mm-hmm. cannot set this precedent that the league commissioner gets to decide in this gray area what, what conduct is detrimental to the league to the extent that you forfeit money and you all of a sudden are the um, arbiter of something that I don't believe you should be weighing into. If it's the Grizzlies decision because they're the one who've had to deal with jaw and everything that probably we don't know um, more stuff that's going on, they should be the ones because it, it has an effect on the team and, and 
but largely this is just something stupid. And I, I, it baffles me when I see reports about like 20 plus games or even half the season on my TV screen or hearing on podcasts. And I just continue to be um, just astounded by, by the lack of just honest honesty yeah. in this conversation. Yeah. So I, uh, so I wrote down a few people's whose takes I've appreciated. It's what's interesting is a lot of these people are, are, are people whose takes I usually do not appreciate or just get frustrated with. But, but I think that I just want to back up what you said. I agree with the same thing. I mean, I do think that there is a touch point with guns and I think that you have jaw one. I think media people tend to be on the coast, tend to, skew progressive uh, and I think tend to um, you know be very upset about about guns in this country and all those sorts of things and I think that that has been brought into this conversation Um, and I appreciate like a Chris Harrington saying like no this is a totally different conversation and he was getting mad that people were bringing in you know I guess very right-wing people who have Christmas cards about guns and sort of uh, talking about things like, no, but none of this has anything to do with the jaw situation. I agree, but I think it's going on on both sides of people basically, you know, being upset about, about jaw, just seeing jaw with a gun and there, there's kind of a visceral reaction. I think there's also an older person reaction. And so the older people in the media, as well as the older players in the NBA, uh, like a Charles Barkley and other people being frustrated with seeing a guy who obviously is going to be a star if he doesn't totally mess it up, obviously could make hundreds of, of, of honestly billion dollars potentially in his lifetime of earnings. And, and yet, you know, um, and they see him messing it up. And so I feel like there's a, some over, um, overcompensation here going on with people freaking out and 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 so like JJ Reddick who of course I think also people misunderstood JJ Reddick the day after Adam Silver kind of was defending Jaw uh, or just basically saying why are we going crazy but it was of course a response to a question saying he should be you know should be suspended for half the season or more you know and and Reddick's just like what are you talking about because what you're saying is like what is the crime besides stupidity. Uh, and I appreciated that. I appreciated, honestly, I appreciated the pardon my take guys for basically just having a good time and making fun of it and, and saying things like, They're you know, best. yeah, that they were just, you know, like how can they expect maybe John needs to leave Memphis because how can they expect him to not be into guns because he's next to the Bass Pro Shop pyramid, you know, which sells so many guns and some other things. But basically I think their main point through all the humor was just that this is stupidity and why are we why are we going overboard on stupidity? Like it's just dumb. It was stupid for him to get back on IG Live. Like why did why did you do this? Um, you know, it's just young, dumb type stuff. Uh, but I appreciated. You know, I think Bamani Jones and some other people have kind of made the point that you know it it feels like the rural urban thing is going on here, where Jaw is a southern rural guy who likes who enjoys guns. And likes messing around with guns. Maybe he still kind of thinks like I was laughing. I, I looked up like rappers uh, brandishing guns, and the first thing that come up on Google was all these South Carolina rappers that have gotten in trouble for brandishing guns, which I thought was interesting. But because Jaws from South Carolina, but I think you know that sort of sense. But then just also that some guys don't want the superstardom, and also struggle with oh well, you're a superstar, and you're going to make all this money. Uh, you have to live differently. Well. That that's a hard concept for a young person to understand. And honestly, some people don't want that. Like it could be that Jaw, 
doesn't want all that comes with millions of dollars in fame. And he's struggling through all those things, which I think is, you know, his conversation with Taylor Rooks. Um, and then also just, I think the, one of the things that David Thorpe said in a couple interviews was just that, you know, that Jaws Gen Z. And the one of the things he's noticed is, you know, he's a boomer coach and he's realized that his son, who's Gen Z and in college now, you know, like he responds to criticism and to discipline in a very different way than people older than him, than his generation. And, and so I always ask like one, you know, with the discipline angle, like, is it just, so first of all, you know, is it, is the punishment, does the punishment meet, meet the crime? And so obviously if he was suspended eight games, it probably needs to be longer than eight games, unfortunately, you know, uh, if you're just thinking punishment, but you know, but Harrington wrote an article showing that anybody who's gotten more than 20 games, it's like criminal stuff, you know, literally punching fans, major stuff. And 30 and Miles Bridges just got 30 games for domestic abuse. And so people talking about more than 30 games is just crazy to me. But then my the other thing besides discipline is not just does the punishment fit the crime, but it's also will it actually help rehabilitate the person? And, and that's one of the things that I hope, because I think Adam Silver sometimes pays way too much attention to social media, pays way too much attention to the loud voices freaking out. Uh, and that might have been why he was responding the way he was on ESPN, which was, I feel like, over the top for the, the two days in between the incident and Adam Silver interview. But I feel like, will it help re rehabilitate? Because... Everybody acts like we've got to really show them. We've got to do tough love and give them like tons of games. Well, is that going to work? Like sub suspending jaw for half the season? Is that, you know, going to teach him to not do it again? Or is that going to like make him more frustrated and more rebellious, uh, you know, more against being a superstar? And I think those are things that I hope the NBA is thinking through. And that's why, I, you know, I think you're right. I expect 15 games, maybe 20 uh, I feel like potentially I could see it being around 18 and him and then basically saying we're going to we're going to make it so that you can maximize. You can only play a maximum of 64 games, which mm. takes you out of all the postseason considerations mm. because the new CBA is 65. Like I could see that maybe being the thing uh, that they do. But I would be I mean, I will get on here and rant like you'll have to we'll have to do. 20 podcasts of me screaming at the NBA if it's more than 20 games um, because I just think that would be just ridiculous for the crime. But I don't I don't know what you think about all that. Well, I just think it's it's probably Silver is having to um, like it's almost as if Ja told him something and then turned around and did something different and he feels that betrayal in a way as in you know, my conversation with him didn't go far enough. And so now I look stupid. And I wonder if there's some of that going yeah, on as I well. Could see that. Where he could say, like, Ja, this NBA is going to go on with or without you, buddy. Like, are you on? Are you here for the ride or what's going to happen? But I, I do think that the the punishment at large is is fitting the crime because the crime was you have tarnished your public image. And I think you let the public respond yeah. in what whatever way that it's just naturally going to happen and you don't need the NBA's help in, yeah. in this situation because I agree with you you're getting into more I would say like legal territory at that point with how you respond and you're setting a precedent that is an unfair precedent for we, we have to look ahead too to the social media age 
when this is not going to be the last inc- incident. It might be the, l- the last incident for a while that happens on Instagram Live, but this will not be the last incident with right. everyone having a smartphone and cameras and um, you know stuff. I mean, NBA players, you yeah. really don't know what they're doing. And if you catch somebody, you've already set a precedent with conduct detrimental to the league, even though that player might not have been committing a crime. What if he's in somewhere like, yeah. uh, I don't know, he could have to do with guns. It could have to do with... Um, whatever. I, I don't even, I don't even want to speculate, but I'm just saying it's dangerous. It's a dangerous snowball effect that yeah. could, this could happen. And I'm just nervous. They're going to take it one step too far. Um, and I just think they should let the team decide. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, and I just, it's, it's interesting, you know, sort of a, a, another zag a little bit, you know, it's interesting. Um, as we, we talked last Sunday, I was in Florida um, surrounded uh, in, a, in a conference with a lot of people from all over the country and um, and obviously a lot of people know that I'm a Christie's fan and I found it very interesting that I didn't I didn't find anybody uh, who like jaw stuff was all over the place at that conference and I'm talking about uh, college students from a lot of different parts of the country that uh, when I t- when people talk to me because a lot of people ask me about it, it wasn't anger. It wasn't like shock. It wasn't all the things that I think the media showed. It was just kind of like disappointed. Like, what is he doing? Like, why is he doing that? And it didn't make anybody want to like not wear jaws, not get like it. Nobody said I'm no longer a jaw fan that I met. And again, this is total anecdotal, but I'm just saying that I was around people from not just Grizzlies fan people from all over the country. And I didn't find one person um, because I'm kind of famously a Grizzlies fan there who is like, I'm mad at jaw. I'm not going to buy stuff like the, the, the parent uh, emailing Ryan Rosillo about like the life advice stuff to me. I think you might find that in some more, progressive parts of the country maybe, or some people who just really have visceral reactions to guns uh, in a sense. And I totally get that. But I, I, I think if Nike throughout, I think because of branding and stuff, they're not going to do it. I think if Nike put jaw ones available tomorrow, a new set, they would sell out. I, I still expect when they announce jaw jer- like Jersey sellings, the jaw is still going to be in the top 10. Um, and I just, you know, so I think what's interesting is one, I want the market to decide, but two, I also think in some ways, uh, a lot of the media and a lot of the NBA don't, don't want to let the market decide because I think it'll show them that, uh, the public is not as upset about this as they think. Mm. I, I do think it'll take a dip that I I would push back just a little bit, but I think that it is going to also be dictated by after his suspension Let's watch the next 20 games. And I think you could see people like, for instance, like I, I think a lot of people around Memphis can't wait to buy Jaw Ones because they just haven't been available. And But now they're in sort of a holding pattern. And I could see waiting until, let's say, like November, December, and then Christmas, December. I think you could see a ton of Jaw Ones if Jaw is back and it seems like he's playing well. Like I think there will be a correction. It just might be, it's pushed back a little bit further than... I think we I think we would have looked up right now and if if this last incident wouldn't have happened we'd see the the jersey sales we'd see the jaw ones continue to sell out and I think we see all the marketing still push towards jaw because it's that redemption arc but now I just feel like it's a holding pattern so it's a TBD but I I would be hopeful for Christmas. 
Yeah, no, I do too. And then, and obviously, I I understand parents are going to be reluctant, you know. And so I think that's where the the problem comes in. I just think with the under thirties, I don't think this. Like I just, I just don't think this like really affects the way people view uh, jaw in some major way. Besides, honestly, like, like that's you know, uh, I mean, and it's funny because the part of my tech guys, you know, they want they thanked jaw because of all the funny memes and the jaw wick and all all the stuff that people are enjoying. And so that is, I mean, to me, it's stupidity. It's like what you and you said this last Sunday. It's a joke. Like the the it's a punchline. It's a punchline, and and that's that's more the way it is then I think what a lot of the older media think is being conveyed. Yeah. So anyway, uh, speaking of the lottery last week, I would say that this ended up being just about worst case scenario for the Grizzlies. I was, <laughs> uh, before the day started, I had tweeted out kind of my, my, uh, wish list for the lottery and, and ranked them in order. It was like the number one pick goes to an Eastern conference team. And then second was the number one pick doesn't end up in the Southwest division. And then number three was Dallas Mavericks land outside of the top 10, have to convey their pick to New York. And then lastly, OKC and New Orleans stay put. Well, out of the four of those, only the very last one held yeah. true. And it was chalk through. I don't know if you yeah. watched the broadcast, but I mean, up till that Detroit Pistons pick dropped down to five, it was completely chalk the whole time. And there was a lot of anticipation in the room. And if you read some of the stories, I know that, um, you know, Zach Lowe had a great, column about what happened and you heard Ben Golliver uh, released also some information behind the scenes but you know teams like the Wizards and the Trailblazers were really really close to getting Wimbanyama and it, of course it ended up going to the Spurs number one pick and um, I think that if I am taking myself completely out of the equation and all of my loyalties it does feel right that he's in San Antonio but I do think that if you look upon the history, the fact that they have just gotten lucky three times now in a row in three different generations of player that are going to, I mean, I'd be shocked if we saw Wimbanyama in a different uniform, honestly, uh, because of all of the ties that he has with former Spurs and just Popovich uh, being there and having the pedigree he does and, um, you know, so objectively speaking, like it's probably better uh, for him, but everything else wanted him to go to like in me wanted him to go to Charlotte and just like I wanted them to completely screw him up. I wanted him to be in the Eastern Conference and uh, just stay out, stay out of our lane here, Victor. But that's not how it ended up. We're going to see him at least four times a year. And Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to have um, quite a matchup on his hands moving forward. Um, and Ja, I'm nervous for his ACLs because he's just going to try to dunk over Victor every <laughs> single time he sees him down the floor. So what did yeah, you make the, of the only, uh, the I mean, lottery. I was very upset. That was really, it was like just anybody but the Spurs, honestly. Obviously, it was going to be an Eastern Conference. I was loving, hoping for Charlotte, Detroit, um, say up there. And so the fact that, you know, Southwest Division 1 and 3 is pretty hard. Uh, but silver lining is, Pop can't coach forever. <laughs> so, you know, he's going to retire soon. And the other thing is David Robinson's not there uh, or a Tim Duncan. You know, that, that when Tim Duncan, you know, famously when they got him, David Robinson was coming back. They'd had some injury issues. And so they were immediately good, you know, whereas this Spurs team is still definitely uh, a ways away from being good. It's still 
you know, unfortunately, the second fortunate is you know, San Antonio is still a rough free agent destination. Uh, free agents don't really want to play there. And so hopefully, you know, they won't be able to build the juggernaut that they did for 20 years under Tim Duncan. Um, hopefully they won't have that same level of success or they'll, their success will just be slightly below the Grizzlies success. But, but it was, it was, it was rough. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's also interesting. It'll be interesting to see what the Blazers do uh, with their picks. There's a lot of talk out there of trading, you know, and, and trying to figure out if they can sort of immediately contend sort of, or be relevant again with Damian Lillard, uh, you know, and then obviously Houston, we're also looking cause they're also in our division and be interested to see with, with what Houston's going to do. And, and they just have a lot of young talent. They didn't have a great coach in my opinion. It'll be interesting to see what happens there as well. So, but it was to have three of the four top four be Western conference teams is rough. So the Southwest division, I think in a couple years is going to look completely differently than it did this mm-hmm. last year where you had Houston, San Antonio and Dallas and new Orleans all missing out and yeah. the playoffs and the Grizzlies being the lone playoff representative. Like it, I think we're going to look back and it's going to be similar to the 2010, early 2010s, yeah. late two thousands when, I mean, every single team, it was, right. it was just a, a battle to get out of that division and the lo- in large part, why the Grizzlies hadn't won a division title until right. last because season. Such good. They always had another elite they team. Always had another elite team. Yeah. And, um, I, am going to hope that pop does treat victor uh delicately in in the fact that you know maybe he he rests him a whole bunch more than um you know superstars in the past and they'll bring him along slowly i do think the hype is i mean i think he lives up to it if i had to predict i he's just we've never seen something like like his play style is his um, size and how it translates and his skills um, specifically with the ball in his hands. Um, so anyway, it's not going to be fun. Right. It was worst case scenario. Yeah. And that's all I have to say about yeah, that for but, now. Yeah. And, and, but I will say let's, let's do dwell on the good stuff. I mean, uh, I wish the Mavs had lost out on, on their draft picks. That would have been funny, but they didn't move up. So they still just have the 10th pick and really the thunder and the, you know all three of those teams just because the Mavs have Luka but really the the Thunders and the Thunder and the Pelicans who I see sort of as our rivals as far as the timeline potential peers um, neither of them moved up so I think that was good uh, back of the lottery uh, neither of them got lucky so I think that's also good for us as far as just wanting to maintain our superiority to them in the pecking order yeah that would have been a disaster if either of those teams um some quick former Grizzly news. Tony Allen uh, was in a uh, a federal case, actually, and it was a conspiracy to commit health care fraud and wire fraud. Um, he was among 18 former NBA players, and essentially there was $4 million total um, in 2021 that was... Uh, Basically, it was fraud. I mean, they they were saying that they were going to different appointments that they never showed up for and were getting the health insurance payouts for those appointments. It did go to federal court. Tony Allen has since uh, pleaded guilty this week, and he did pay back all that he had owed for those claims. And so uh, there is not expected to be any sort of restitution, but he will get sentenced on August 8th in technically letter of the law is he could he could serve up to two years in prison 
recent examples of, of different rulings in this area have shown that um, that hasn't been the case. We don't know for a fact whether or not it's going to happen. Um, I sure sure hope for Tony's sake that it doesn't. Uh, I am I am in on team Tony Allen. Um, you know, God love him, isn't smart enough to commit fraud at this level without uh, somebody else pulling the strings. And so I think that he went along with it and uh, made a bad decision. And I hope that him sh- him paying it back so quickly hopefully shows his uh, his remorse in the situation. And my hope is that once we hear the ruling and it isn't uh, any sort of prison time, that we will see a Tony Allen jersey retirement maybe sometime next spring because it um, now that all this mess is potentially behind, uh, it's, it's long overdue. And I, I hope that he gets it. I don't think... I, my opinion of Tony Allen has not changed since these charges. What did you make of all that? Uh, this week here and here in the news yeah not much to add I think the same I mean I think that uh, all reports seem to think that he paid the money back he very much cooperated with authorities and the guilty plea I think kind of came with an agreement that there would not uh, be any sentencing behind that besides that and so I think then it's just uh, so I'm hoping no nothing and and I agree too it seems like it's more of falling to the wrong people uh, not totally knowing what's going on. I mean, again, I don't want to just totally be blameless with him because he deserves blame and, and uh, you know, all this embarrassment is what comes with that. Um, and then I think it's just going to be a matter of uh, hopefully I'll just say, you know, won't get any, uh, won't get anything more than he already has. And then, uh, and then the Grizzlies can try to figure out PR wise, when is the right time to retire his Jersey so we can get that, um, and done. And so it's not just Zebo up there, but we, we start, we start getting the core four done and then hopefully Gasol won't be too far after too. Um, I know he's still like sort of playing overseas, but, um, but hopefully, uh, you know, he can, he can get his Jersey retired as well. Definitely. Definitely. I hope we have more than one this season. That would be really fun. Um, okay. Let's finish out with a subject that we love to talk about and you Grizzlies fans everywhere should be very interested in this particular topic because it has to do with uh, the method by which you will be watching this team moving forward. Um, there have been a couple of recent news items, and Kraft, I'm going to let you uh, sort of brief everybody on, on what's been going down. One is on the Phoenix Sun side with their recent announcement and what they're trying to do, and then another on the ESPN side, which just was released this week. So take us through uh, what's going on here uh, in the broader landscape of, of broadcasting these games. Yeah, so the quick, the, the two news items that make us want to kind of discuss this are that one, the Phoenix Suns, and obviously new owner, we've talked about this, he made the big KD trade, he fired Monty Williams, um, but he's also trying something else, which is he is going to, because of Bally, you know, uh, bankrupt, you know, bankruptcy of Bally. He is planning on taking the games. He, he committed with this company who has kind of like, you know, an on-air channel, one of those back on-air channels that, that if you were my age, like in your forties or fifties, you end up trying to find, you know, the back of the channel, uh, you know, sort of like a UHF type channel where you can potentially watch the shows or, and more importantly, where you can stream it as well. And he's doing it for free so that you could potentially get it over the air or on a streaming site for free. And that he is looking at making up the lost revenue from cable, um, from a cable company with that contract with that company, but also through advertising 
as well as he just believes they're growing, making more Suns fans who will buy more merchandise, who will sell out more games um, that that he sees long term. And something that the, the four of us at Grizzden have been talking about, he sees the long term benefit of potentially losing money now to get more fans and to get more eyeballs on games, watching actual games. And, and that, you know, is a very interesting idea and it's, it's thinking outside the box. It's a, it's the kind of thinking that we've talked about that we hope Paris thinking about as the Grizzlies that we hope the NBA is talking, thinking about. So you have that story that is potentially happening. Then you also have the story where ESPN and Bob Iger, the Disney, you know, quarterly reports, all those things have come out and basically announcing that they are moving forward, uh, you know, pretty soon, sooner than most people thought with a sort of ESPN offering and not just the ESPN plus that has sort of the stuff that's not on ESPN, ESPN two, but being able to a la carte through streaming, get the ESPN, ESPN two, basically whatever ESPN is showing to get that a la carte. And so to go direct, direct to streaming, direct to the, to the viewer. And, and that's something that people thought, well, ESPN might hold off for a while because the cable bundle is uh, so lucrative for them that obviously, you know, the, the, the more they move to all a cart, the, the less people are going to get cable, which it makes them a lot of money. And so there's this kind of game that most honestly right now, the, the media landscape is playing, which is that they make a lot more money from from uh, from cable bundles because you know a cable bundle like my grandparents uh, get cable but they never watch ESPN but they're paying for ESPN through this cable bundle and and yet more and more young people most people under thirty five don't have cable anymore like and so it's an interesting um, move from ESPN because the question is. While that might mean some people get ESPN, you have all sorts of issues, which is, well, that that even more ensures people aren't going to get cable because one of the few reasons to get cable now, if you're a young person, is for ESPN and for sports channels. You also have this sense of churn, uh, which means which basically is people get, you know, ESPN will will sign up for streaming sites for a while for for major things and so like people might get espn from august to january for football uh but then once college football or the nfl is done they might get off espn which is not what the nba would want because the nba wants eyeballs on people and so on on their sports and so it 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 leads to a lot of questions uh, about kind of cable is the cable bundle like gonna gonna even more uh, disintegrate uh, is everything going to go a la carte? But then, if that happens, then people, how is ESPN going to make their money? Because they have to charge people, you know, way more uh, than like thirty, forty, fifty dollars a month to make up for that. And so, uh, you know, so I want to let you talk about this for a while. But it's just an interesting deal because when you look at the NBA, the NBA in the late '90s, early 2000s moved to almost exclusively cable. Um, for almost the whole season for TNT and ESPN, because at that point, 90% of households had cable. And, and so that wasn't a huge loss to move off of broadcast networks during the season. It made them a ton of money, uh, but ratings went down. And some people blame Michael Jordan's retirement for that. But some people also will say it's because you moved off broadcast networks. And then again, we had this huge in the mid 
2010s where everything was where where the cable bundle people were trying to find ways to keep people on cable well that was going to be through sports so they were giving out all these sports rights you know sec network big 10 network uh uh, NBA and so they made a lot of money and everybody's looking at now as this new TV contract coming up that the NBA is going to make a ton of money uh, because everybody wants you know wants live sports because it's really uh, lucrative for them because hey if you're a cable channel like Discovery Warner that has TNT well hey if people can only watch uh, you know watch the NBA by just subscribing to our cable channel. Well, we want that same thing with ESPN, same thing with all these new streamers. So it's kind of like you have all these people wanting parts of the NBA. And we've talked about how we, you know, like I'm hoping NBC Comcast gets involved one, because I think NBC does sports very well and gets people excited about sporting events. I think they do it better than probably all the other channels personally. But I also think that we would love, I would love the thought of people can just with an antenna or it's very easy to get like NBC and uh, without having to pay. And so we want more free NBA for people to watch. And so uh, I talked for a while there, but there was all sorts of stuff going on. And so the concern is we, we know no matter what, unless something crazy happens, this new TV contract is going to be huge. The concern is down the road next, you know, seven, eight years, what's going to happen when my kids who for the most part love going to live Grizzlies games, um, follow the Grizzlies, but mostly through highlights, like when they're 25, 30, what's, what is the landscape going to look like? And so that's, what's very interesting is both as a Grizzlies uh, thinking about their own just Memphis Grizzlies popularity and making money and being a sustainable franchise here, but then also just the NBA in general with the ESPN news and, and kind of like, is, is, is the NBA going to become a sport that's just about super fans or is it going to be a sport that brings in a lot of casual fans? And so there's just a lot of stuff there that I kind of laid out. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on any of them. Well, yeah, that I, think, stuff. I think the, the point to start, let's go backwards from, from what you just laid out. I mean, to start with the cable situation here, they've been printing money for a really long time because everyone that subscribed to, to cable, and I, I have not yet, I've been lucky enough to um, either just stream, cut cord, or have a TV login when I need some sort of like live. And we, I won't be able to do that anymore if ESPN, for example, goes on its own. Um, and I'll be forced to shell out however much they want for it uh, because people are going to pay for ESPN if you're a sports fan. And so I think you're you're going to lose out, though, on a specific or a, a big revenue uh, split because you've had all these people that are now going to... Yes, if they... Uh, you could charge a lot more for ESPN, let's say, than the cut that they're making from DirecTV, for example, per person. But then you're going to look back and think... Yes, with the churn, with all of the uh, the people who subscribe to cable, not for sports, you know, what's going to happen? And so I think the piece of the pie, which is important when you're talking about uh, the the ways that even salary cap can be affected by basketball-related income, you're going to have to see a, a very... They're making a bet. I think that's the best way to put it. Their ESPN is the first of these giant... Uh, sports networks making a bet for a future that to me is not guaranteed in terms of demand and I'm going to be keen on 
what their um, the reaction is going to be to this to this report, especially from the cable side. Do I think that cable is the future? No, I don't think it makes sense. It's funny because I I think we had a disaggregation of everything, and now we're we're leading towards something that will look like an aggregation. But I don't think it's going to be through the cable medium. I think it'll be more like uh, one of the bigger like Hulu or YouTube or whoever is like putting all these channels into one um, interface or app. To, to get and so that's important what I am more important for the short or what I'm really interested in for the short term is where grind city media fits into all of this on the Grizzlies side could we see something similar to the Phoenix what the Phoenix Suns are doing but on you know is grind city media going to be the quote-unquote streamer are we going to see a grind city media app that has the capability to actually stream live Grizzlies games are we going to see um are they going to, you know, that you can pretty easily, I would say at this day and age, find a good outsource solution for live broadcasting, but it's still a really big lift. And I think you're going to see Robert Para maybe jump in and um, decide that it's something that they want to do as well. Of course, the problem is the money. Like, where does it come from? You are, you are getting, even if it's a small split of the, uh, the income from, the broadcast as it currently stands with regional sports network, but that's going away. Like Valley sports is not going to be around next season. And so um, I am very interested in what's going to be happening directly for next season. Is it too early? Did, did Grand city media, did they need maybe like one more year to get their ducks in a row to maybe handle this type of demand? Or are we going to see a, another temporary, uh, temporary option like Bally in the meantime while everybody's trying to sort out what's going to happen. I, I just want to know where we're going to watch Grizzlies games next year. Yeah, and, and I think uh, including with that too, and I'm somebody who, one, yeah, where are we going to watch Grizzlies games? Uh, like how easy is it going to be to find? What's going to be the cost, if any? Um, but then I'm also thinking about all of my friends and a lot, some of y'all who listen to the podcast who live in Chattanooga, who live in Nashville, who live in Jackson, Mississippi, who live in um, Little Rock, Arkansas, and all these other places that up until now uh, got got Bally's and got Grizzlies games with a cable package, um, you know, or were able to get uh, Bally's direct to them wherever they lived. And so now that's what, because, you know, for, the interesting part about the Suns thing is it looks like it's just going to be in like the three to four major towns in Arizona. And of course, they're they're surrounded by a lot of uh, a lot of states with already have NBA teams. But the Grizzlies have this potential for a young team, very entertaining, uh, have a superstar, despite the fact you know all the complications going on right now. But but have a pretty, I think, bankable star going forward in a team that's going to be good for several years. Like, do you try to? Um, regionalize this team similar to what the St. Louis Cardinals did in Memphis um, or the Atlanta Braves did, you know, in Alabama, like, do we try to get these surrounding States um, with Memphis and kind of make the Grizzlies a mid South team? And like, what does that mean? And how do you do that? And so there's just a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, uh, and I don't know. And, you know, we're just speculating. We don't know what's going on down there at the Grizzlies organization uh, thinking through all these things, but this is the stuff I hope they're thinking about. Um, that, you know, because that's what my hope would be the, the most people in this area of the country to be able to watch just every Grizzlies game. That's not maybe on a major network. You know, I would hope that that would be possible. Yeah. So the, the whole free aspect of what Ishby is doing in Phoenix too, could be, uh, 
another variable here because my my idea early on with the Grind City Media uh, theory was that they would be able to make up what they would potentially lose in the NBA not managing things for them in like direct subscriptions to watch Grizzlies games. However much that I mean, Bally was tra- charging like nineteen ninety nine per month. I mean, I could see something like that or. Um, you know, basically in a lot of marketing opportunities to say, Hey, if you do this or like you get entered into a chance to win like a subscription to the Grizzlies to watch the Grizzlies for this next season, whatever, like they can all of a sudden they just have a lot of control over it and they can actually fill those ad spots directly without having to work through, through Bally and, um, the failure that that was this year. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that's fascinating just about the media landscape is that, you know, Netflix just came out with this great quarter because they have an ad tier now. Um, and, and, you know, the sort of people have been talking about the fact that, you know, one, it's kind of like with all the direct to consumer and the subscription stuff that's been going on in the last few years, people have forgotten, like for several years, radio and TV did really good with being free over the air, but with advertising and that advertising is very, very lucrative if you do it at scale. And it's interesting to me how most people, a lot of analysts are starting to say like Netflix, there's that eventually that you pay a very small amount to get free, you know, to get ad tiers um, that eventually they think Netflix is just going to be free with ads and then really expensive to not have ads because of how lucrative ads at scale can be that it behooves Netflix to actually make it cheaper, get more people signed up for the ad tier so they can sell more ads. And I just hope that there's that kind of thinking just in the NBA in general with more over-the-air broadcast channels. But then in particular here, I mean, I do think there's a sense in which if, you know, because we were frustrated all the time with, you know, if you stream Grizzlies games, how much ad time was just left not being used, which is just crazy to me to think like, I know at some point you don't want to like, lower your brand doesn't want to just take any and everybody but i just was shocked they were leaving so much money on the table to not be filling all these commercials uh with ad revenue um on the streaming site and so it'll be interesting to see all those sorts of things you know but overall i mean for me obviously for us as grizzly podcasters we just want more people re- watching the grizzlies uh thinking about the grizzlies talking about the grizzlies and so i would just love to see more eyeballs and i think you know that all the NBA owners think long-term when they buy a team because they know I'm buying a sports franchise. There's scarcity here. It's going to, it's going to go up in value. This is a great investment. And I would, I would love if they think more that way, just about this kind of media landscape too. Like the more fans I can get, the better long-term this investment is. Yeah. And listen, this is a complicated issue. There's yeah. a lot of layers, and I I would be the first to say that I'm not smart enough to understand every angle. But what I do call for is no more blackout regions in on the league pass option because to me that's going to be the one reliable place that I can at least point people when they ask to say how can I watch the Grizzlies next year. I don't know what the answer is going to be, but if they don't have blackout regions, which in if you don't know what that is it means that like if you were to buy NBA League Pass, sign up to watch the Grizzlies, but you lived in a certain, which seemed to be a very large radius around Memphis, they would not allow you to access the Grizzlies through League Pass because of the local regional network that owned the rights to to uh, broadcast them. And so I'm just hoping with Bally Sports going under, with whatever happens, let's just lift that, make it a little bit easier. 
for people in this area to at least rely upon the NBA League Pass app to, to access their team. So, right. Because the, I think there's a lot of kids right now who are at school who uh, everybody's wearing John Morant jerseys, everybody's wearing Jaron Bain jerseys. They're excited about the Grizzlies, but they have parents who like don't care about sports or don't have cable. And it's like, that that's the kind of stuff, this over the air stuff, the streaming stuff. Hey, I got a Grizzlies app on my iPad so I can watch all the Grizzlies games as like a 13, 14 year old. That's the, those are the fans we want, you know, to get to, we don't want all the, just take away as many hurdles as possible. Make it very easy for someone who wants to watch the Grizzlies to watch the Grizzlies. hundred uh, percent. Any other notes before we close up shop here? No, I think that's, I think that's it. Well, so, yeah. like I said at the beginning, it was going to be a grab bag episode. We, <laughs> we covered a lot here. We still have not heard, like I said, about the John Morant uh, suspension. We, I'm sure, will have a lot of reactions In our tradition, it it'll it, probably come out in about 30 minutes. That's exactly it's, right. It's dead tradition. That's exactly right. Uh, in the meantime, <laughs> we are still planning to have our Denny's episode. We'll probably slate that for whenever the NBA Finals is going on or wraps up. And then we'll have our traditional offseason uh, podcast where we go in depth on the draft, free agency, trades, and any sort of news items. We'll have summer league coming up uh, early July. The draft is late June. Um, we'll have our live draft reaction. So a lot of really fun stuff coming up, and it is it is fast. I mean, I can't believe we're already less than a month from the no. draft. Right, June twenty second, I no. believe is the date. I should probably check that before I say it live on the air. But uh, that's we know it's coming up soon. Yep, thir- June twenty second. And so tune in to Grizzden. Don't forget to uh, subscribe and give us a review if you would uh, like the podcast. Share it with everyone you know. Yeah, and, and uh, this is a good episode, honestly, to share with people who aren't necessarily maybe major Grizzlies fans because we talked about a lot of different stuff. So enjoy your Memorial Day weekend, and in the meantime, go Grizz. Go Grizz. <laughs>